This is Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. Before I begin today's podcast, I want to apologize for using a word in my last podcast that is incorrect and considered rude. So I did say I was... I have knowledge of the transsexual movement. I meant transgender. I know better than that. It was just a case of misspeaking. So I was listening to my Riff on Dolls episode because I've gotten a lot of feedback about it. People really liked this episode. So I listened to it again to see if I could somehow deduce what the magic is about that episode. Did you read on my blog post about the movie Magic? Another scary puppet. Ah! Anyway. (laughs) I'm not sure what it is that made that podcast more relatable, maybe. Although the way that I recorded it was more like myself in that the notes that I used to record the episode were very fragmentary. And that is a way that I have taught and organized many things in my life in a fragmentary way. So I don't really do well if I'm too tightly wound into organization. So because I had to make that episode so quickly, it was a riff, and I'm going to try to do another fragmentary episode. So, here we go. Speaking of fragmentary, I do have an issue as an artist with finishing some projects. This has been an issue that I've dealt with for a long time. And I think back about my youth to try to discern some motivation there to for that foible, I guess I'll call it. 
I was pulled up and moved like a weed when I was young. Between the years 1960 when I was born and 1971, those 11 years, I moved six times. But it's the last five years of that period when I was most cognizant of change and saddened by the moves. So I feel like I can only focus in on those years. So I begin then with 1966 in this self-analysis. I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again, I'm sure, many times. 1966 was, for me, the best year of my life. I was very happy. I was very active. I lived in a house on a street that was pretty rural. I had a huge backyard. I had a beautiful front yard with big oak and maple trees. I lived within walking distance of a lake, Turkey Foot Lake. It's a state park. I had a best friend who was a little younger than me that lived across the street that allowed me to call the shots on everything that we did. So I feel like I honed some leadership skills there. But most importantly, I think for me, it was a time when all of my family members still lived together. My siblings are uh, older than me, some of them quite substantially so. But we were all living in the same house at that time, in that year, and I had pleasant experiences with all of my siblings. Another thing of note, in the year and a half, perhaps, that we lived in that house, which was a cool split level that had an intercom system. It was just a cool, cool house. Uh, And that was, I experienced two graduation parties of two different siblings. And so all my cousins came over to our house, and it was just so fun to have so many people there and running in and out and through this beautiful yard. And I liked my neighbors, not just my friend across the street. I had friends that lived next door that were older that I liked. And my dad. It was right before I started school. I started school in that year, I think. But I spent a lot of time with my dad And he was a fabulous person. So funny, so social, a warm guy, a trickster. And he took a special shine to me. I think that anybody in my family or that knew about our relationship would say so. I remember as a precocious kid, one time there was a neighbor that I didn't know very well. He was an older man, 
didn't have any kids, but he had hunting dogs in a kennel in his backyard. And one day I let them all out because they were whining and I just felt so sorry for them. It took a while for this guy to get his dogs back. And then he came over and he talked to my dad and I was standing there and he said, I don't want your daughter to come into my yard ever again. We'll use this tree as a boundary. She should not pass beyond this tree. My father said, okay, but I never got in trouble. And he said to me later that day, he'll never pass beyond that tree on our side either. What a guy. He was just a great guy. I suppose he could have been a little more of a disciplinarian with me, but great guy. We left that neighborhood and I was sad. But I had this feeling that maybe I would come back and visit people in that neighborhood. And I thought about that for years after I moved. I never made it back, but I thought about them fondly. And then I moved into a really nice neighborhood. I think we stayed in an apartment for a couple of months while the house was being finished. But this was a beautiful house in a different town, in a pretty fancy neighborhood, pretty fancy development at the time. I've referred to it before in my last episode, I think. It was the mean neighborhood. Many girls in that neighborhood were mean. I found myself gravitating towards younger people in that neighborhood because I just couldn't get along for too long with the girls that were my age or a little bit older. So because I wanted to play in different ways and play different games, I gravitated towards their sisters who were younger. And, of course, the boys in the neighborhood because they played outside in the weeds and played army and other types of games that I appreciated. I was non-conventional. I always have been. I think that might be something behind why these girls were mean to me. I certainly wasn't like them. I was exploited by one older girl in that neighborhood, but I was very gullible, too. I've always been a very trusting soul. I remember this girl came over. She dialed somebody's number, and she said, this is a boy I like, and he loves for people to tell him that he has a big nose and smelly feet, so you tell him. (laughs) And of course, I grabbed that phone, and I said that. And then this person on the other end started screaming at me, and I realized that I had been taken advantage of. That neighborhood was kind of mean, and I tried to fit in in different ways. Uh, The biggest way was pretending that I was Catholic 
And I'm sure I'll be getting into that whole array of stories as I proceed. But at school, between first and third grade, I was a fabulous star. If I had trouble at home with getting along with people, well, that was one thing. But school was fabulous. In third grade, for example, I wrote a play. And everyone in the third grade had a part in my play. It was about um, Native Americans and settlers and buffalo. I had this real weird attraction towards buffalo. I really wanted to taste buffalo tongue, salted buffalo tongue. I never have, but I remember distinctly having that feeling. My third grade teacher would later say to my mother, your daughter, I, I thought she was going to be the most fabulous, famous director or screenwriter or something that I had ever met. I had never met a child like her. So I was pretty happy there. It wasn't 1966, but in 1970, I was pretty happy with the way things were going. Some of my siblings were gone. Almost all of my siblings were gone. And then... A terrible day occurred. And that was January 4th, 1970. And that was when my father, who had been missing, was found dead at Meander Reservoir. It was deemed a suicide. I went crazy. I remember coming home that day. It was the first day back in school after the Christmas break. I had it was an unseasonably warm winter. It was nice enough to ride bikes. There was no snow on the ground. I got off the bus with this idea that I was going to ask my mother if I could ride my bike to the plaza with a friend, Timmy Salas. And I walked in and, well, first I saw a bunch of cop cars in my driveway. I walked in. My mother was wailing. There were many relatives around, many older cousins and my aunts. And my sister took me upstairs and said, they found dad. And I go, great. When is he coming home? And she said, he's not Lisa. He's dead. So I went crazy. My mother went crazy too. We were basically the last people in that house my sister that's closest to me in age was a senior in high school, and I don't remember seeing her very much then. You know what's interesting about her? When she left to go to college, when she was 18, she came back once for a summer 
because of some emergency. But after that, she never came home again. She never moved back home. And every other person in my family moved back home at some point in their life. Well, my mom went crazy out of depression. And so did I. I started playing hooky from school. I would go out to the woods and stay out really late. I remember getting um, naked in the woods with boys. I remember staying out and freezing and freezing and freezing and not wanting to come home. I remember going up to my neighbor's house and talking about something and just peeing on the porch. I should have been in counseling. I was nine years old. I was shipped away a lot from my mother because she was so depressed. I stayed after school with my favorite teacher of all time, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Benchwick, to do extra activities. I started going into people's houses, just opening doors and sneaking in and seeing if I could walk around without them noticing me. I started lying about things. My mother started selling every single thing that I owned, or that anybody owned, that had anything to do with my dad. I was so upset. I would come home from school. I would put the for sale sign down in the yard. If somebody called and asked for my dad, I would take a message. A realtor came to show off our beautiful house. And when he went into the garage, which was a finished paneled garage, he realized that I had nicked up all of the paneling with a sickle. Oh, yeah, I started playing with a sickle in the backyard, and parents didn't want their kids to play with me. After I was forced to move to the neighborhood that I now call the friendly neighborhood, I used to ride my bike back every day I could on the weekends in the summer every day miles and miles a 10 year old an 11 year old riding miles and miles and miles and I would stay as long as I possibly can I would ask people if I could use their restroom I would go without eating I would pretend I still lived there My mother, in her grief, didn't even see what was going on. She was drinking a lot. If I know what I'm looking for, I can finish an artistic project. For example, I once wrote a manuscript, actually two manuscripts, that became chapbooks. And the reason that I finished them was because the majority of the poetry was for a muse, 
that I had. So I knew the target. When I wrote my proposal of marriage and things for my partner, I would finish them. When I needed to do work as a teacher, I would finish all of those artistic or creative projects because I wanted to be the best teacher. But if I didn't or don't have a target for a particular project, I procrastinate, I dawdle, I leave things around unfinished. Sylvia Plath has this poem, and I can't remember which one it is now, but she talks about all of these poems that are unfinished that are like abortions in jars. They'll never become anything, and she just looks at them on the shelf. I have a lot of unfinished work like that. I started acting a few years ago. And one time I was talking to a psychiatrist that was taking acting lessons from the same teacher. For some reason, we started talking about my life. And I told her that I had this problem finishing creative work. She asked me a few questions about my life. And I ended up telling her about the suicide and the subsequent going crazy. And she said, I know why you never finish things. You don't want things to end. I think she may be right about that. I'm sure there's more to it than just that. But when she said that, I was shocked with its simplicity. Do you do self-analysis too? to try to figure out why you have certain issues? I'm wondering if you do. I'd like to hear from you about what you think about the issues that you've dealt with in your life. Please let me know. Comment on the blog. If nothing else, take a moment and think back on a favorite year of your childhood and bring up a memory that makes you smile and cry maybe at the same time. Thank you for listening. Until next time, get thinking. She's got no lessons planned for me because she's not She's a professor forever Professor forever